Today we are uh, beginning the home stretch of our series called Faith That Works. We've been in it 10 weeks through the book of James. We have three more weeks, including this one, left, and it has been a great journey. There's been some highs and some lows, some hard messages, and some encouraging ones as well. Today, James has probably the most devastating word for us that he has had yet. So buckle up. It's going to be a little bit of a challenging one, but I think it's going to be good. Today, James is going to lean into the topic of the disease of wealth. How we handle our money is important. And James is going to lean into how does it look for us to handle our money well. Money has this ability to be a great tool to be used to see the word of God proclaimed all throughout the world. We make such a difference with our financial resources. And yet at the same time, our finances can be a vice, can't they? In fact, they can even be worse than a vice. They can be deadly. I love the story called The Hobbit. And in The Hobbit, it reminds me a little bit of this topic. Basically what happens in The Hobbit is there is a dwarf by the name of Thorin Oakenshield. And Thorin sets off with a group of his friends and they're going to retake this place called the Lonely Mountain where their home is. And in The Hobbit, they get all the way to the Lonely Mountain. But when they get there, they find that a dragon has been in their home for a long time, protecting this enormous treasure that the dwarves were seeking to reclaim. So Thorin and his crew, they they kill the dragon. It's this great moment. They go back into their home. But then something overtakes Thorin. Tolkien, the writer of The Hobbit, he calls it dragon fever. And it's this feverish lust, this desire for gold that supersedes anything else that Thorin has had to endure. It ended up causing Thorin his life. It caused the life of some of his friends and started an unnecessary battle. All because of gold. Wealth has this ability to really take over our lives and to cause us to do some really crazy things. Now, I want a little bit of a disclaimer to go out today. I want you guys to understand something. So you might be tempted during the message today to say one of a couple of things. Like the first thing might be, I'm not wealthy, okay? You might not consider yourself to be wealthy. You also might be like, hey, listen, Jeff, what you're saying is a little bit too offensive for me today. What you're saying is getting me a little bit where I don't like it. I'm a bit uncomfortable. And you might be tempted to check out. But I want to encourage you, don't do that. Even though it's a hard message, I think that God's got something for all of us today. And I think it's so important that we hear what God has to say and that we listen closely. So what we're going to do is we're going to answer two questions today. The first question is this. What is the disease of wealth? And then the second question is the natural extension of it. How do we cure this disease if we have it? And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one uh, from a purple chair around you. If you don't own a Bible or you don't have a Bible that you can understand very well, I'd encourage you to take that one home. That's our gift to you. You can also follow along with me on the screens behind me. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
It says this, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Whoa. That's pretty strong, right? It's a pretty intense message that James has for us. Even in the tone you can hear it, James has a very strong opinion about the way that we handle our money. And what he's saying basically is, if you put your faith in money, it is going to let you down. So in ancient culture, there were three signs of wealth. There were kind of three things that would indicate if you had money, if you had resources or not. And those things were, first of all, food. Second was clothing. And then third was like precious metals or diamonds or jewels. And what James is saying is, your food, it's going to get rotten. Your clothes are going to get eaten. Your Gucci or whatever it is you wear, that's going to fall away. Oh, and by the way, your house and your car and your possessions and your jewelry and your watches and your shoes. I like accessories, I guess. <laughs> All of those things are going to corrode. They're going to fall away. They're going to let you down. And that's the principle here. That we value our stuff so highly. We value our bank accounts. We value that little number that we see when we log on, right? And we put that in a wrong place. You see, only God is the one that should have the place of being ultimate in our lives. You know what I mean when I say ultimate? Like the thing that everything else flows from. It should be God and God alone. And yet, there's this fierce battle in our lives with money taking that spot. At the end of Matthew chapter 6, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts to illustrate the difference between loving God and loving money. And he says, you just can't love both. Either you're going to love God and hate money, or you're going to love money and hate God. You cannot love God and mammon or wealth. You can only serve one master. And this is what James is reminding us. That as hard as it might be for us to imagine, our wealth, it just doesn't satisfy. It's not going to provide for you. It is fleeting. It's going to be here one day and then it can be gone tomorrow as easily as it was gotten. Let's take Job as an example. I've got a picture of Job up here. So you might not be able to tell it from this image, but Job, who we touched on briefly last week, started very wealthy. He had a lot of resources. The Bible talks about his herds and his cattle and all of his land. He was a very wealthy man. He also was someone who was fiercely devoted to God. And yet in the book of Job, we see that at God's permission, Satan strips all of it from him. And as quickly as we get in the story, he's destitute. If he had put his faith in his money, it would have completely let him down. That's the nature of wealth, that it will always let us down. And that's where the disease of wealth comes from, the improper placing of weight on wealth in our hearts in lieu of placing it on God. 
Now, what does this disease actually look like? What are the symptoms of this disease? James is going to go through these for us. Let's finish verse 3 in James chapter 5. The last sentence says this, You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So the first symptom of the disease of wealth is hoarding. And hoarding is this idea of stockpiling resources. It's this idea of getting as much stuff around us as possible. And it's nasty, folks. How many of you have seen one of those hoarding shows on A&E or History Channel or something? Anybody? Has anybody seen those? It's disgusting, right? And it's this fear that if I don't have stuff, I lose my value, I lose my worth. And so I can't share my stuff. I can't get rid of things. That piece of paper might mean something to me. It might be worth something. Those hangers, what if I put clothes on those hangers? That extra meal that's still sitting on the plate from a week ago, I might still want to eat that. And this is the nature of hoarding, that we accumulate but never get rid of things. At the root, it's all about selfishness. It's all about us, all about how can we accumulate. But the thing is, is we were never meant to hoard resources. Our resources were meant to flow out, to be used for God's purposes, not stockpiled and held. There is a story that I read recently of a lady named Bertha Adams. It's a very sad, tragic story. So Bertha, she died in her 80s of starvation. She was 50 pounds when she died. She was a hoarder, a compulsive hoarder, something that could be clinically diagnosed. And her house was a wreck. She spent all of her money accumulating and not on taking care of her body. And so she died. But you know what? That's not the most ironic part. Because after she died, people began to clean out her home. And someone found something very interesting. You see, they found a key to a safety deposit box. They went and they opened it, and what did they find? They found a million dollars between cash and stock certificates. About $600,000 in cash, $400,000 in stock certificates. So she literally starved herself, even though she had the resources to actually buy food. Isn't that crazy? And that's what hoarding does. Are you in that place? Are you accumulating resources? Too many resources? You know, maybe you're not floating around 50 pounds, and, you know, maybe you're not about to starve, but, like, are you trying to find a place to put more of your stuff? Like, you don't really need it, but you just kind of compulsively want it? You're trying to find another storage unit, figure out how you're going to pay for that? You're trying to buy a bigger house so you can put more stuff in it? Look, there's nothing wrong with buying a bigger house. But are you trying to do so so you can just fill it? You might have the disease of wealth. Let's look at the second. Verse 4. This is the second symptom. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The second symptom of the disease of wealth is fraud. Now, fraud is this idea of criminally deceiving other people, taking advantage of others for the sake of your wealth. 
And what was happening is the majority of people that were wealthy in this day and age, in James' day and age, were landowners. And what they would do is they would hire day laborers to come in and to work their land. Now, the expectation was that at the end of each day, these landowners would pay the people that were working in their fields. And it made sense because the majority of the populace was poverty-stricken. The majority of people didn't have the resources in order to make it day-to-day, meal-to-meal. And so they were counting on being paid. But what was happening is in James' day, these landowners, they were making people work and not paying them. And so people were starving were hurting, and they were crying out to God for support. Now, this is cruel as it is, but it's actually unlawful. It was unlawful for them to not pay every single day. Deuteronomy 24, 15, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they were poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. James is telling us this is fraud. This is fraudulent behavior. You are undermining your fellow man when you are choosing to mess with their money, to not pay them when it's supposed to be paid, to hoard, to not pay back a loan. Now, maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're in a place where you're withholding money from someone. Maybe somebody loaned you some money. You're not paying it back. Maybe there's someone that you can help and you're choosing not to. That's fraud too, church. God cares very much about the way that we treat other people. We saw this a little bit ago earlier in the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. And then this last verse too. Proverbs 22, 22-23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. God cares about justice. And if need be, he will be the one to exact it. The second symptom is fraud. Verse 5, let's continue. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. The third symptom of the disease of wealth is self-indulgence. And i got to be honest with you, church. This is the one that I think as 21st century Western Americans that we fall into most easily. I know I do. I really like my stuff sometimes. I like to buy stuff from me. And I think we all to some degree fall into that. We all like to accumulate to some degree. We, we like to buy nice things. We like to have a nice lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we do so at the detriment of others, that's where it's wrong, church. That's where we're in sin. The great 16th century reformer John Calvin said this, self-indulgence wins no favor with God. God does not give us our resources for the purpose of them terminating only on us. That is self-indulgence. That is wrong. 
Now again, please hear me. It's not in and of itself wrong to have wealth or to have nice things, but when it only ever terminates on us, then there's a problem. That's not what our resources are for. James describes people that self-indulge by saying that we're fattening ourselves for the slaughter. This is the concept of, you know, taking a livestock animal and, like, getting them fat right before you, you butcher them and cook them, right? Like, you don't usually, like, stuff a pig full of food so that you, you know, can look at it because you think it's pretty, right? You want more bacon, don't you? I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? What James is saying is that for us, when we self-indulge, we're only filling ourselves up for consumption by somebody else. We're preparing ourselves for slaughter. Our resources weren't made for that. So here's the question. Are you using your money for self-indulgence? Are you only ever using your money to increase the quality of your life? And better yet, I have another good question. If somebody else looked at your bank statement, would they agree with you? The third symptom of the disease of wealth is self-indulgence. Let's continue. Verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The fourth symptom of the disease of wealth is murder. It's condemnation of other people. See, what was happening is this idea of judicial murder in James' day. And what would happen is these wealthy people, they would have the resources to where if they committed a crime, if they were convicted of something, they could just pay off and bribe the right people, right? And then they would put the blame on people who didn't have the resources to do the same thing, to defend themselves. It was ghastly what was going on. What James is saying, he's saying, when you do that, you're killing people. You're condemning them unnecessarily. You're making their life harder than it should be. You should take some of that responsibility. What does that look like for us? Are you using your wealth to better the lives of others? Or are you making it tougher on other people? Are you using your money for helpful purposes or for harmful ones? When we use our money in such a way that it hurts others, we're displaying this particular symptom that we have the disease of wealth. So we've got these four symptoms that have given us a picture of what the disease of wealth is all about. Hoarding. Fraud, self-indulgence, and murder, condemnation of other people. This is nasty stuff, guys. It's a grotesque disease, and we have a really gross picture of it. Our wealth, when we have the disease of wealth, destroys people. It misrepresents the name of Jesus, and it ultimately consumes us, making us completely ineffective for the sake of the gospel for the sake of seeing the good news of Jesus go out. I told you this was a tough one. Now, I want to make a really important distinction here. I do not believe that it is wrong to have wealth. I don't want you to hear me say that. 
I don't believe that actually having money, having financial resources is wrong in and of itself because it's not. It's about the way that we use those resources. Is our first priority to use our money to advance God's purposes or is it not? That's the simple question that we have to answer here. I found this quote from a guy named Dr. Glenn Sunshine. Dr. Sunshine works for an organization that looks at wealth and and financial resources and integrates that in with faith and how do we live in a culture that, that prioritizes wealth so highly. And he says this in an article. What about the rich? Although scripture has some very harsh things to say about the wealthy, this does not mean that all of them are evil or under divine judgment. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Job were rich and yet also approved by God. Just as poverty doesn't guarantee virtue, wealth does not guarantee vice. The issue isn't really wealth and poverty. God's concern is for righteousness and justice. God cares less about if we have money or not, but far more about how we use our resources, whether we're extremely wealthy or extremely poverty-stricken, everywhere in between. How we use our resources is what God cares about. So it's not wrong to be wealthy, but it is wrong to use our resources in the wrong way. Now I want to take a moment here. We're going to have a, we're going to have a, we're going to have a real talk session, okay? I'm going to sit down for this one. Every single one of us in this room has this disease. Every single one of us. Now, some of us might be really extreme on this, right? Some of us may have hurt other people out of unfair, inappropriate financial practices, right? Maybe you've, like, sidestepped a coworker and caused them to lose their job because you were too jealous for the money of that position, right? Maybe you've only ever concentrate on your finances, on like, how can I make the number on that screen bigger? How can I make it bigger? How can I make it bigger? Maybe you're only ever thinking about like, how can I build the bigger house or, or get that cabin or buy that car or get these trinkets or whatever. Maybe you're really far down there. But the thing is, is that even if you're not, you're still afflicted. The disease of wealth can hit us in a moment's notice. It can be, hey, you know, should I, should I save up for this, for this really fancy trip? I just want to save every dollar I can for this. But then there's an opportunity to love on somebody else and you choose to not do that. Maybe you should rethink the way that you save your resources. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're afflicted. I'm afflicted with this. This is a hard thing for me, truly. So we've talked a little bit about the disease of wealth. We've kind of identified what it is, right? Now let's talk about curing it. I like curing diseases. Anybody else? I like curing diseases. So let's talk about what does it look like to cure the disease of wealth? Well, first and foremost, I think that we need to use our resources well. If we want to cure this disease, we need to use our resources well. According to the design that God has given us, not according to the design that the world gives us, that our own desires give us, that the trinkets that we want give us, the lifestyle that we want gives us. 
We need to follow God's design. Now, what does that look like? There's a couple things that I think that we can do, a couple specific antidotes that we can employ in our lives so that we don't fall into the disease of wealth. The first is that we need to use our resources, our wealth, to win the lost. We need to use our resources to win the lost. Luke 16, 9 says this. This is Jesus talking. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal, excuse me, into eternal dwellings. Did you catch that? That sounds almost a little funny, right? Like, use your money to buy friends is what Jesus kind of said, right? Use your resources to influence those around you so that you have an inroad for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, that their life might be changed. Some translations of this particular text say that they, the people that you show this love to, will be the ones to welcome you into eternal dwellings. And I love that imagery, that when we use our resources to help lost people get found, people that don't know Jesus now know Jesus, that those are the very people that are going to be like, hey, welcome to your house in heaven. How cool is that? Sounds a little different. Sounds a little unique, but I think it's really powerful. There's a, a great pastor, theologian, author that I really like. His name is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. And if you are struggling with understanding the Bible, one particular version that I would recommend that you do, pick up a copy of The Message translation. It's just such a great way to understand God's Word. Anyway, in one of his books, he talks about this episode where he and a bunch of pastors were all out eating. They were at a conference and they were all out eating at a restaurant. They engaged their waitress and just had a conversation with her and found out that she was over $400 short on her rent payment. And within a few days, she was going to be kicked out of her home. And so in the effort to use their money wisely, these pastors, they all together tipped her the full amount of money, $450, whatever the amount was. The cool thing was that these pastors kept coming back to the same location year after year at this conference. And what they did made an enormous impact for the sake of the gospel at that restaurant. Everybody talked about it. Now why is that? It's because the world is not about us using money that way. It is so weird but when we do it, we get people's attention. We are so, sorry, I'm preaching now. We are so, we are so distracted as a culture. We are so distracted. And yet, when we use our resources in a way like that, people look at us and go, wait, what? What did you do? When we show this audacious compassion, this love for people, they say, wait, you wouldn't just do that. All right, what's the catch? And then there's an opportunity. Look, I love God and his love for me is overflowing so much, I can't help it. Oh, and by the way, you should know this God that I know. Right? We need to use our resources to win the lost. Second way, second antidote for the disease of wealth for us is to care for the needy, to care for those that are in need around us. James 1, 27, 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We need to use our resources in such a way that we are loving on people that are in need. There is no shortage of needs in this world, church. Does anyone, raise your hand, we're going to publicly shame you, think, does anyone think that there are no needs in the world? There are more needs than we could ever imagine. And what we do with our money can address those needs or can make those needs even worse. So let me give you a really tangible thing that you can do, a really tangible action item. We have here at Gateway Church what's called our Benevolent Fund. And our Benevolent Fund is all about how can we come around people that are hurting, that are in need, whether here at Gateway Church or in our community. And so one thing that you can do is in a few moments when we take our offering, you can grab a white envelope in front of you and you can write benevolent on it and you can give to that fund. There are other ways you can do that. One of our partners is the Abba Crisis Pregnancy Center. That's a place that does a great job at loving on the neediest people in our community. Maybe God's calling you to support them financially. Whatever it is, the call is clear that we are to care for those that are in need. The third way that we push back the disease of wealth is that we support ministry. So this is just a true statement. It's just truth that in order to have the lights on, the HVAC in this room, it takes financial resources to do that. In order to engage the community around us in ministry, it takes financial resources to do that. And it's not even just for us here at Gateway Church, for our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, to send missionaries around the world to push back the darkness in other places. It takes financial resources. And so one way in which you can push back the disease of wealth is by using your money to support ministry, both here at Gateway Church and in other places as well. And so I want to encourage you to do that, to give to your church to give to other organizations, parachurch organizations, places that are doing ministry, that are seeing the gospel expand around us. And when you do so, God lavishes blessing on you beyond anything you can imagine. So my challenge for you today, I've given you three possible steps. My challenge for you today is if you are currently not giving some of your money away to something, that you would start. I'm not asking you to do a lot, okay? If you're not giving anything, start by just giving a little, okay? If you're giving and you're giving faithfully, I want to encourage you, can you lean into it a little bit more so that the disease of wealth doesn't get you? Because it's, it's terrible. It's harmful. It kills us from the inside out. So if you're, if you're giving, I would encourage you, can you give just, just a little bit more? Just lean into it a little bit. Just to see what God does in your heart and in your life. Because church, when we engage this, I know it's not a comfortable topic to talk about sometimes. But when we engage the proper use of our financial resources, the world changes. Amen? God does amazing things. And so that's my challenge to you. If Wherever you're at, lean in, 
to giving. Lean into financially supporting others. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the resources that you give us. They are a blessing, Lord. It's a blessing to live in America in the 21st century. It's a blessing, God, to to be able to put food on the table, to be able to support our families, Lord. We, We appreciate that. But God, we also recognize that there is a potential that it can be really dysfunctional. And so I pray, Lord, that you would pry our hands open. Lord, that you would keep us open to what you want to do with the resources that you've given us, Lord. We're only managers. We're not owners of these resources, God. Everything we have belongs to you. So I pray, God, that you would change us, that you would do a powerful work in our hearts. And, Lord, that in doing so, we would be satisfied in you and nothing else, only in you. In Jesus' name, amen.